electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Great America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and talk about days like today where it looked great and then just gives it all up. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When you throw enough negatives at this market, you get a positive. If the trucking companies see lower orders and chemical companies see a slowing plastics business and the railroads have declining cargoes, the Fed may just give us a rate hike stay of execution. That's why the average didn't get hit particularly hard today in the face of some truly bad quarters. Dow slipping 90 points, S&P declining 0.80%, Nasdaq losing 0.61%. There's so little demand for semiconductors, for instance, that the chipmakers are furiously cutting orders for capital equipment, shaving off about $20 billion worth of wafer fabrication machinery in just light speed time. And see, once that capacity gets taken away, we'll eventually have a dearth of chips, and that's how the semis bottom. That was one of today's narratives. At the same time, the beaten down IBM just gave us an incredibly bullish update on its hybrid cloud strategy, giving new life to everything that goes into the cloud or web services. And that had become one of the most despised groups out of there. The House of All of these things happened in the last 24 hours, and when taken together, they gave hope to the bulls who think the Fed may pause after hitting us with the next 75 basis points hike because things have gotten precarious for vast swaths of the economy. Now, I'm not sure. I still think they'll hit us with two of them. But understand, you could build a thesis from what I'm saying that they'll only hit us with one of them. Now, you could argue this corner of the market went higher because interest rates were stable, but they weren't today. Interest rates were higher. You, you, they, they, they went up. You could say this morning's jobless claim skyrocketed, but they actually went down. No Fed official suddenly changed their tune. They were their usual hawkish selves calling for endless rate hikes like endless love. That dynamite tune sung by the dynamic duo of Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. While we finished the day down, stocks were up in the morning. And I think that temporary rally was, was because we're finally getting undeniable evidence that businesses are being hurt 
by the Fed rate hikes. And believe it or not, that's what we're looking for. Remember, the Fed's not going to stop tightening until we see the house real of pain. pain. That was easy. Of course, you should never underestimate the market's ability to confuse us and lead us astray. I cobbled together the theory that I just gave you while working on the investing club's morning meeting at 1020 with Jeff Marks, our research director. I was being tortured at the moment by the fact that Lamb Research, the gigantic semiconductor equipment maker, could see its stock plummet $15 on the possibility of losing $2 billion with the orders from China, then rally $37 on the same piece of news. I expounded upon it in desperation mode, trying to rationalize the move. And then I figured it out. The logic of the waiver fabrication business is always backwards. When Lamb's getting big orders, people anticipate that the cycle's peaking. And you know what they do then when the cycle's peaking? Sell, 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 sell. Once the orders plummet, the bargain hunters come in, anticipating a new cycle once chips are in short supply again. All aboard! And that's the ticket with Lamb. It's also why Micron can keep climbing, because the less semiconductor equipment their competitors buy, the more likely it is that they actually get some pricing power again in the not-too-distant future. The inventories get washed out, and it's happening faster than we think. There's too much inventory, though, in the entire semiconductor supply chain, including from Kramer Faves, NVIDIA, and AMD, and I still like them. But if Lamb's having more than $2 billion canceled, and a lot of that, of course, is because of China, of the tension with China, that means the existing inventory will be eaten up faster than you and I think. I couldn't figure out the rally in the cloud stocks, which have been savaged of late, at least not until I read the IBM conference call, where they talked about how well their hybrid cloud strategy is going on. More on that later. For now, what matters is that it's great news for both Microsoft's Azure business and Amazon Web Services, which are crucial to the entire tech food chain. They'd just been slagged the day before by a different piece of research. Now, this kind of analysis doesn't always work immediately. Not all bad news is being treated as good news. The trucking and train companies are doing badly, and their stocks got slammed. But I think we'll eventually see this logic play out as we get more disappointments from the transports. (laughs) The important thing is freight rates are coming down, which means the Fed's making progress in its war on inflation. And that, by the way, is the watchword of this moment. Progress. Until this week, we hadn't seen all that much progress, if any, from the Fed's tightening cycle. The relentless rate hikes have produced the highest mortgage rates in 22 years, but it still isn't really putting as much of a dent in the housing market as you think. Although some prospective home buyers are indeed pulling back, others have surfaced with cash and are ready to buy when, when they want to. Still, though, now that mortgage rates have soared, there will eventually be progress on that front, too. I think we'll soon see potential sellers start breaking price, if only to make their houses more affordable in light of sky-high rates. That would be huge for the Fed. That's a major victory for a team that is just hungering for a win. We haven't seen wages cool down at the trucking companies yet. However, as business slows, nobody's going to be talking about a trucker shortage. Another win for the Fed, as wage inflation is indeed their true nemesis. Now, I want to step back and deal with the reality of the stock market for a moment. Because it's very painful for a lot of people. I see it in my Twitter mentions. People are very angry at me. It's really pretty amazing because it's, look, I'm out here doing my best, and that doesn't necessarily mean I get it right. But the anger may be misdirected. You see, as long as the Fed remains in rate hike mode, owning most stocks is going to be uphill battle. And if it's too hard for you, you should sell them. I, I mean that. See, there's still way too much hope in the market. 
hope the companies will, I don't know, somehow be unscathed by the Fed, make it to the other side with earnings intact. Just tonight, Snap reported delivered still one more disappointment that is taking down all the Internet stocks, including some profitable, very good companies. They will be tomorrow's yellow stain incident to Kane Mutiny, this show. I keep telling you, the only ones that can pull it off are the classic recession-proof stocks. That means something like Procter & Gamble or Johnson Johnson. The fact that those are actually going down is a gift. These companies are already seeing their input costs start to come down. And it's coming down big thanks to the Fed's war on inflation. They are well off their highs and have nothing to do with the likes of the snaps, which turned out to be disastrous. Just these pieces of paper created during an insane period where everybody thought that everything was a company, including things that aren't. It's possible some high-growth stocks reach the equivalent of value status, like Salesforce, which is joining up uh, with starboard value. Notice I say uh, joining up and not fighting. An activist hedge fund to cut costs. That can cause a bottom, too. But for some, like the aforementioned Snap, I just don't know where the value proposition kicks in. Unfortunately, there are still way too many areas where the Fed is losing. For instance, today we learned that the average household is spending $445 per month more than last year for pretty much the same products. That is unacceptable to you, to me, and to the Fed. But rolling back those price increases is easier said than done. Consider the oils. They won't give up their inflated prices, especially now that we know the president intends to buy back what has been sold from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when oil hit somewhere between 67 and 72. All right, I got to tell you, I'm not a political guy, but that was crazy. If I were president and I wanted my party to stay in power, I wouldn't put a floor under the price of gasoline. Meanwhile, most industrials haven't been truly hit yet. Same goes for the restaurants. While the expensive money-losing tech stocks have all been wrecked, there could be more pain to come because there's no reason they can't go lower. Same goes with nearly everything that came public in the past few years, especially the junk health cares or the electric vehicle plays. Fed wants Bitcoin smashed. It wants Ethereum slain. Get that in your heads. They want the supermarkets torn asunder with rollbacks and all sorts of food and sundries. And yes, they do want your stock portfolio lower so you don't have as much purchasing power. It won't happen overnight which is why all these Fed officials can't stop, won't stop. Bottom line, we're now finally getting progress in the war on inflation. Progress is this market's most important product. Hey, why don't we go to Derek to start the questions in North Carolina. Derek. Hey, Jim Cramer. How you doing today? Jimmy Chill is doing fine. How about you? Pretty good. Greetings from Charlotte, the Queen City. Uh, just I, I, to, uh, I always thought of as the Queen City. Uh, Dave Tepper's okay, well, trying to change that team. He's going he's to win. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, uh, he is. Uh, Temper always uh, with him. He's my boss. He's the greatest. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so I'm looking at, uh, first. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at Best Buy. Um, they had a, two, a solid two days of gains. Then Evercore uh, did their downgrade, and then they're having two days, I guess, heading towards three days of losses. Uh, their current dividend yield is like 5.52. It's higher than the market bottom 25%. And it's been relatively stable and increasing for the past 10 years. And, of course, today they finished down 1.4 at 62.85. So, with that being said, do you think I should move on this one? Okay, look, I think Corey Barry, whom I always welcome on the show, is doing a phenomenal job. When you speak to Jensen Wong, who is the CEO of the amazing NVIDIA, there is a new gaming cycle coming. They have, often, they have a terrific tech team that is very good for your, in, really your IT at home. I am a believer in Corey Barry. Will they hate me on Twitter if it goes down 50 cents? Sand. May I speak to John in New Jersey, please, John? Hello, Jim. This is John, and I'm a first-time caller, but a 15-year member of your clubs. Yes! Now, this is what I want. This man knows that I'm trying to teach. It is hard. I go home at night. My wife says, why are you having that mezcal? 
I said because it tastes good. Go ahead. Well, well, it's all worth it to me because I've learned so much from you, and even something from your mother when she once said we should sometimes take our winnings off the table and go buy a nice cashmere sweater. So Jimmy, in let's January, get out of the casino and go buy a cashmere sweater. You betcha. Exactly. So in January, I took her advice. I took half my profits, and I went and bought a nice house on a lake. And it's all go. thanks to you. Thanks to you there, and your mother. How much you make in your checking account? How much do you make going to the movies? How much money do you make Bupka. going to the movies? <laughs> Bupka. Right. <laughs> so thank you, Jim. My question. Bupka. I own uh, the club stock Eli Lilly for its weight Bupka. loss drug Monjoro and the other great drugs it has in its pipeline. But I'm wondering about the uh, another company. Uh, there's two, actually, that are making weight loss uh, drugs. One is Novo Nordisk. And I'm wondering if we should increase our weighting in the weight loss opportunity with NVO. Well, I think Novo, I don't like other aspects of Novo's business. And remember, Lily still doesn't have the approval for the weight loss. I think it's going to get it. And a lot of us, I'm on Lyrica. I tell everybody, everything that I'm on. I own Lyrica, and it gains weight. I need this drug to take the weight off. Thank you for being a member of the club. Thank you for understanding what the heck we really do, which is teach. Because that's what I'd be doing if I weren't doing the club. But there will only be like 300 people. All right, we're finally getting progress in the war on inflation, and progress is this market's most important product. Well, everybody, tonight, big blue flash and big green after earnings. So what should you make of IBM now? I'll give you my take. Then after FedEx flashed a warning last quarter, is it time to reevaluate the transports? I'm digging into the sector. And could Bolero be a strike for your portfolio? I'm checking in with the CEO to get a sense of where the company's headed. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last night, IBM reported one of the biggest upside surprises of the entire earnings season, at least so far. Really took me by surprise, especially as this stock was the fifth worst performer in the Dow for the third quarter. I have had, admittedly, a soft spot for IBM for years. And the story, I want them to do well. I do. I want them to come back and win. And the story got even better when they spun off their slower-growing legacy business as Kindrel roughly a year ago. In the first half of 2022, the stock was a quiet winner, rallied more than 5%. S&P 500 lost a fifth of its value. But as we started getting more worried about a worldwide recession, IBM shares got crushed. Last night, though, they beat expectations handily. They even raised their full-year forecast, although it was the revenue side, despite being up against some serious currency headwinds that have crippled most global technology companies, including ones that are widely considered better operators than IBM. What makes this more impressive for me, though, is that Wall Street actually cared, which is why on a down day, this stock could really rally, put up for nearly 5%. So can IBM finally buck the downtrend? I got to tell you, if money managers are willing to circle back to this one, there's a lot to like here, especially since the stock sells for a mere 13 times next year's earnings estimates, and it has a bountiful 5.1% yield. Hard to find both. Remember, the current IBM is not the old IBM. Last November, they spun off their managed infrastructure business, which was in decline, as Kindrel, in order to focus on faster-growing areas like hybrid cloud, software, or analytics, considered artificial intelligence. The managed infrastructure business was like an anvil around the neck of the old IBM, preventing it from posting positive sales growth and obscuring all the good stuff that was happening in other divisions. Now, there was one big concern going into the breakup. We wanted to know if IBM could maintain that gigantic dividend. We figured the payout would be split between both companies, but roughly a year ago, IBM said they'd keep paying the same dividend, even without Kindrel. That was a huge positive, although it's also caused some worries because nobody's sure if the dividend is still safe. I'm confident after last night, but I know others remain skeptical. For the first couple of quarters after the breakup, IBM delivered some encouraging numbers, including 11% revenue growth on a constant currency basis. That was back in April. Very different from the old IBM, which was almost totally stagnant because it was weighed down by the old mainframe business. When they reported again in July, though, the story did get more complicated, very confusing. While the company posted a top and bottom line beat with 16% revenue growth on a constant currency basis, they didn't raise their full-year forecast. That surprised people. Instead, management said to expect more pain from the insanely strong dollar, which means all of their overseas sales translated into fewer greenbacks. IBM talked about a 6% currency headwind, and Wall Street read that as a de facto revenue guide down. Management also trimmed their full-year free cash flow forecast. Nobody liked that. Honestly, it wasn't that bad, but the stock got slammed in response, and it just kept going down as the market turned ugly again. 
Before the July quarter, IBM was trading at just under 140. By last week, it had fallen all the way to $115, which is a major decline for such a large company. That was the context going to last night's results. This time, IBM posted a big revenue beat with sales up 6%, although it would have been 15% on a constant currency basis, in other words, had the dollar not been that strong. Their earnings came in a couple cents ahead of expectations, but it wasn't perfect. Their pre-tax margin came in pretty light. Still, when you drill down into each of IBM's units, they're pretty much firing on all cylinders. Their so far business up 14% on a constant currency basis with some great numbers from Red Hat. Uh, remember, that was a company that they bought not that long ago that I liked so much, and transaction processing. Their consulting business was up 15%. Their infrastructure business, which includes hybrid cloud infrastructure, was up 23%. If not for the ridiculously strong dollar, this would have been a stunning quarter. Even with the foreign exchange issue, though, it was pretty darn good. Oh, and that strength is everywhere, including Europe and Asia. More important, IBM raised its full-year revenue growth forecast, talking about constant currency revenue growth coming in higher than the mid-single-digit number they'd previously predicted. However, if there's one area that was tr- uh, truly ugly, I don't know, let's say confusing, it was the cash flow. IBM's free cash flow came in at $752 million. Now, analysts were looking for more than $3.4 billion. That's a major discrepancy. I'm not sweating it, though, because management reiterated their full-year free cash flow forecast. How's that possible? Because from a cash perspective, this year is very backloaded for them. Which brings me to maybe the biggest positive in here. Management expects to generate roughly $6 billion of free cash flow in the fourth quarter, thanks to some major tailwinds coming up. According to IBM, the analysts basically got the timing of these cash inflows wrong. If they can pull this off, that would be a big positive. Although if they can't, that would be pretty damaging to the company's credibility. I bet they can do it, but I can tell you if they don't, this thing is going right back to 115. On top of that, CEO Arvind Krishna had a lot of encouraging stuff to stay on the conference call. For example, IBM's really doubled down on the hybrid cloud business, and that's increasingly becoming the preferred cloud setup for most businesses. They like to have more than one cloud system. Krishna cites a poll showing that 70% of business, 77% of businesses have already adopted hybrid cloud. He says that they're winning big business here. Hey, put in some pretty major accounts at Bank of America, Samsung. I also like what Krishna told us about artificial intelligence. He explained that they've got four major use cases for AI, human interaction, automating information technology processes, automating business workflows, and analytics. It's a great way for companies or government agencies to save money on labor, which keeps getting more and more expensive by the day, as we know in this country. Put it all together, while IBM still has plenty of room for improvement, this quarter was a big step forward for them. And it was a major win for the bulls. Remember, IBM went through that whole Kindle spinoff in order to become a growth company again, and that's now what they are. They've got growth in spades. That's extra positive because going into the quarter, there was so much doom and gloom about how they were looking at a serious slowdown in enterprise tech. IBM's not seeing that. Not at all. The one thing that really is killing them, though, as I've mentioned now three times, is the strong dollar, as they get roughly 60% of their sales from overseas. But if the dollar ever peaks, holy cow. Will these guys clean up? Bottom line, even after IBM's nearly 5% rally today, the stock's still down substantially from, uh, versus where it was trading just a few months ago. I'm optimistic, including about that big dividend that is backed up by plenty of cash. But keep in mind, this remains a trust but verify situation going forward. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, 10-4, good buddy. Kramer compares a couple companies that might make you money for the long haul. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance 
with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I gotta admit, I love earnings season, not just because we get to find out more about individual companies, but because there's so much to learn about the state of the broader economy. For example, this week we've been watching the transports. We've heard from a bunch of trucking and railroad companies. They're not boring people. They're very interesting reports, and they're not exactly painting it bright picture. Tuesday, it was the turn of J.B. Hunt. That's a trucking company, which could have been a lot worse, frankly. Then last night, it was Knight Swift, another trucker that saw its stock plunge nearly 6% today. <laughs> then this morning, we got numbers from Union Pacific, the first major railroad to report this time around. And though the company beat expectations for the reporting quarter, it also lowered four-year guidance, sending the stock down nearly 7%. So why should you care about the truckers or the railroads? Because nobody understands the economy better than the transports. There's a reason the Dow Jones Transport Index peaked nearly a year ago. That's right when the price of moving a shipping container from Shanghai to Los Angeles peaked, too. Since then, it's actually been a free fall. In September of last, of last year, that shipping container cost just under $12,500. Now it's at $2,500. The last six months have been particularly ugly. The house of pain. Meanwhile... We've been hearing about softness in the trucking industry all year. Trucking rates are way down. And who can forget the horrific disappointment from FedEx last month? One of the worst shortfalls I've ever seen, with some very dire commentary about the state of the economy. Remember, we have spoke to FedEx CEO Raj Subramanian, and that interview, frankly, was a gut punch. He was adamant that we're headed into a worldwide recession. Took my breath away. With FedEx freight volumes declining in every segment around the world, and he's a terrific executive with a great purview. Unfortunately, nothing we heard from the transports this week has changed that negative narrative. Let's take them one by one so you know what I mean. Now, J.B. Hunt was the most positive, which, believe me, is not saying much. When the trucking company reported on Tuesday night, they actually delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, 22% revenue growth year over year. Headline numbers look good, but while the stock initially opened up a few bucks yesterday in response, it quickly fizzled, finishing the day up just seven cents before plummeting more than 4% today. People really started reading through this stuff. Why? Because J.B. Hunt's got problems. While the company's been able to fix some of the supply-related challenges that have been holding them back, like the shortage of truck drivers or service quality from their, uh, uh, their railroad partners, they're still concerned about the economy. Even though CEO John Roberts would only refer to it vaguely as, and I quote, the uncertainty of macro conditions, end quote, you better believe that what's, what's everybody was thinking about when they listened to this conference call. Who cares if J.B. Hunt can find enough drivers when we don't know whether or not there will be enough demand going forward? Hey, listen to this line from Roberts in the conference call. Further evidence has presented itself over the course of the quarter that requires an increased level of caution and awareness on broader demand trends and economic activity. Hmm. Tell me you're going to take a hit from the economy while explicitly saying you're going to take a hit from the economy. 
And because J.B. Hunt doesn't give guidance, investors were left to imagine what the upcoming macroeconomic uncertainty might mean for the numbers here. Definitely didn't sound positive, though. Then last night, we got confirmation of that negative read when we heard from Knight Swift Transportation, another trucking play. Knight Swift was a lot less vague and a lot more bearish. First off, they delivered a small top and bottom line miss. Second, and much worse, they cut their full-year earnings forecast pretty dramatically. They see trucking rates going the wrong way in the fourth quarter. On the conference call, CFO Adam Miller painted a heinous picture. Listen to this, quote, For the fourth quarter, we expect a muted seasonal freight environment combined with significantly fewer spot market opportunities. This is expected to cause rates to turn negative on a year-over-year basis, end quote. Hey, there it is. There it is. Not great for commerce although at least we're making progress. Remember, that's the theme of tonight's show in the war against inflation. In response, Night Swift saw its stock swiftly plunge nearly 6% today, crushing the whole trucking space and contributing to a great deal to, to the meltdown in the Dow Transports, which was down more than a 2.5% today and actually rolled over, taking the rest of the market with it. Although that decline wasn't just about Night Swift, some of it comes down to another one real Kramer fave. We don't have enough for the trust, though. Thinking about it, Union Pacific. The big West Coast railroad that reported a rough quarter this morning. While the headline numbers actually came in better than expected, most of that beat was due to higher fuel surcharge revenue and a generous buyback. Business volumes only grew by 3%. At the same time, Union Pacific's costs are exploding. The railroads like to focus on what's known as the operating ratio, meaning cost to revenue. And that came in nearly 3 percentage points points worse than expected. That took my breath away. I was very surprised. These guys are good operators. For years, the story with the rails was efficiency. They were getting their costs down and operating with better precision, allowing them to generate tons of cash. But there was very little increased efficiency in Union Pacific's latest quarter. Freight car velocity down 2%. Locomotive productivity down 2%. Quarterly workforce productivity flat. These were all disappointments. Even worse, management slashed their four-year forecast. Previously, Union Pacific was guiding for 4 to 5% car load growth this year. Now they've taken that down to 3%. They're also warning of higher costs. Those are the last things you want to hear. Now, I always pay attention to the rails because they give us insight into a ton of important industries. On the conference call, Union Pacific Executive Vice President of Marketing and Sales, Kenny Rocker, said, he broke it down like this, coal is looking good thanks to high natural gas prices, although he noted the opportunity to capture demand is dependent on the available resources. He points out that grain is facing tough comparisons in the next quarter. On top of that, Rocker said Union Pacific forecast for industrial production is decelerating, and they're also seeing softening demand for forest products. In addition... How about this one? We expect parcel and truckload demand to remain soft as consumer preferences have shifted more to experiences versus goods. Remember you hear that? The service experience, the travel overseas versus goods. Here it is playing writ large. Again, not what you want to hear, unless, of course, you work for the Fed. Listen, I don't want to overreact. Another railroad, CSX, reported after the closing, and the numbers look pretty darn good, much better than Union Pacific. And while the commentary from J.B. Hunt, Night Swift, and Union Pacific wasn't good, it also wasn't anywhere near as bad as what we heard from FedEx last month. But the bottom line, if you're looking for a bottom in the cyclicals, the ugly numbers and cautious commentary from the transports tell me that it's way too soon. Most of the economically sensitive stocks are still in bad news, is bad news mode. And they could stay that way for a while. You know me, as I tell club members, stick with the higher quality, less cyclical stocks right now. Those are the ones we're buying for the club. They're a much safer place to be. Let's go to Chris in Maryland. Chris. 
Hey, Jim, first-time caller, please be gentle. Calling on United Postal Service. They increased their dividend last year by 49%. In, look, yields 3.7. It is a great company. It's down 160. It's down 25% for the year. That's highly unusual. We are going into recession. It's not a stock people buy going into recession. But I have to believe as this thing clo- closes in on 5% yield, you have to pull the trigger. How about Manny in Florida? Manny. Booyah, Jim. How you been? Booyah. I'm good. How about you? Good, thanks. They call me Money Manny for a reason. I got a question for you about Uber. So there's no argument they have market share. They were first. I don't see ride share going away. It's just the way everyone gets around, right? But the, and the near future, maybe they're going to expand to, yeah, maybe they're going to expand to anonymous. They're going to go into more food delivery, roll out some cannabis, new ad service. But they're still struggling to increase their market cap. Is that a concern for you? Um, I have to tell you, you have to take a two-year view if you go to my Uber. Uh, it, this is not like Airbnb, which we, which we have in the bullpen for uh, uh, the club. Uber is going to take a long time to win. But when it gets to win, it's game, set, match. What they really need is autonomous driving. That is going to be the killer app for them. If you're looking for a bottom in the cyclicals, it's likely way too soon. Most of the economically sensitive stocks are still in bad news and bad news mode, and they can stay that way for a while. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Bolero. Could bowling make you some big bucks? I'm discussing with the company's top brass. Then from Tesla earnings to Twitter acquisition, Elon Musk has a lot on his plate. I'm breaking down all you need to know about what's going on in his world. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. profiled a true rarity in this business, a SPAC play that's actually worth owning. I'm talking about Bolero. That's B-O-W-L-E-R-O. The company that's rolling up the bowling industry via a series of small acquisitions. You might recognize them as Kramer Fave Bowlemore or AMF, a bunch of them. Unlike nearly every other post-SPAC stock, Bolero is genuinely profitable. And they're consistently beating expectations as they came public, including last month when they reported a fantastic quarter. After that story, the company asked if they could come on because I profiled it. And you know what? I just couldn't say no. Are you kidding me? The stock's already given us a quick 12% gain since we highlighted it last week. We were happy to oblige. So let's check in with Tom Leo Shannon. In the founder, he's the founder and CEO of Bolero to get a better meet on his business. Mr. Shannon, welcome to Man Buddy. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. Yeah, you know, he's got that. This is what I do, too. I mean, look, we are, when we bowl, we're somebody special. And I real feel, really feel that way. And I think you can tell us the bowling experience changes and is the best way for all generations to have parties and get together, particularly after the after COVID. It's so true. I mean, one of the few things uh, that exists that's all things to all people is bowling. We get young bowlers, elderly bowlers, rich, poor, you name it. Everyone bowls, Jim. Great equalizer. Now, one of the things that you've done. It is truly incredible. You have same-store sales revenue growing at 33% on the same basis. So when you take over a bowling alley, you must make it so that it has become the thing to do in the neighborhood. Well, we really like to have a service-intensive experience. Look, people's time is precious. Right. Usually they have more money than leisure time. So when they come into one of our facilities, we want it to be a great experience, a great aesthetic, uh, great food, 
beverage and a service intensive environment so that when they come, they're really getting the most for their time invested. Now, I have to I mean, I'm not, I'm not a spokesman for you, but yes, that's been my experience every time I've gone, which is why I like to throw my party's bully. Thank you. Now, let me ask you something. You have decided as a SPAC to clean up and get rid of the warrants and make it so that I actually know the share count. I was with someone this Saturday and I asked and they asked me, he says, do you know how many shares there are of X? I'm not going to mention it because I'm, I'm big in it. He had no idea because there's warrants here. There's different. Cra- You've decided to make this look like a real company. Well, we were super bullish on the stock, and we thought, look, we're going to blow through 1150 pretty quickly. So we were able to purchase uh, a, a pretty big slug of those, and then we did a conversion uh, into shares. But simultaneously, we bought back 3.4 million shares. Are there any other SPACs that did that? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I can't find it. Just, you know, I couldn't find it. Yeah. Now, who is who? I know that you have a man who worked with Comcast on your board, yeah. who was our CFO, and oh, he's a tough guy. So you've got some, this is Michelangelo's, you have people on your board, again, who care passionately about shareholders and making money, not just for the people who promoted it. Well, we have a great board, and, and uh, they really believe in the company and its vision. And we started with one bowling alley right here in Union Square. I bought that back in 97. You'll like this, Jim. I paid 3000 down and $2 million borrowed. I only had 3000 We turned it into the highest-grossing bowling alley in the world. We went from one million dollars losing money to 15 million and now we have 323 bowling alleys all across the country now there are many many more bowling alleys that you could i hate the term roll up to be honest that you could purchase and make even better how about that well i agree uh yeah so about 3500 independently owned and operated bowling centers in the u.s right most of the proprietors are elderly and we are frankly their retirement right Right. You're the way they can they can cash out and you can do better. Correct. Now, how about the, the bowling association, the PBA? Is there money to be made there? Um, maybe. And, and we're Not clear, right? But well, you will. The PBA? Yeah. Well, we're making money now and I think we'll do well. We're, we're negotiating now on an extension of our rights agreement. And uh, yeah, that's that's great. But what it really is, is an infomercial. So we reduced our marketing expense by 10 million dollars through ownership of the PBA, and it pays us a million dollars. We've spent $11 million to buy the PBA. We've reduced our marketing expense by $10 million, and we still make a million dollars profit on the PBA as a standalone business. That's very good. Now, how much team building and corporate building is there in Bull Era or for Amen? Uh, the, the event business is a big part of our business. So through uh, June of this year, our fiscal year ends in June, uh, our revenue was about $911 million. Okay. EBITDA was $316.4 million, 35% EBITDA margin consolidated. $200 million of that, thereabouts, is events. So the event part of our business is quite large. Now, uh, and how much of it is league? Oh, league? Well, league's about $90 million plus the food and beverage associated with the league. Uh, and what's the split? I look... When we go, no one gets sloppy drunk, honestly. I think you probably kick us out if you do. But there's a very nice amount of alcohol consumed. It's a pretty good margin there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on the league. Some are drinking leagues and some are more serious leagues. We call it another $40 million of food and beverage associated with the leagues, about $130 million. Now, there's something I was talking about that is, is ethereal between you and me when we first started. There is a sense that you can be, I, I don't want people laughing at me because anybody who's a serious bowler knows this, that you can be somebody else when you bowl. An it's, alter ego. Yes. So who's your alter ego? Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am the pin atomizer. My name's Tom, and it fits right in. 
These things matter. I wish people understood how. I mean, look, I when I heard about your company, I was in shock that I hadn't thought. You know, we all. I went to. I had tried to buy a. Uh, I tried to buy a bowling alley. It's just an unbelievable business. But has it made some sort of comeback versus say if you had had a kind of a downturn? It seems like it's hotter than ever. It is. And really, the comeback started when we started the company in 97. Really, that was, you started to see bowling show up in popular culture, TV shows. Remember, there was was Ed, I think. He bought a bowling alley, right? He was a lawyer. He was working out of the bowling alley. You see it in TV commercials. We've really reinvested. We've reinvested about $700 million into our bowling center since 2013, since we acquired AMF. We have the best product in every market. But what we really have is a high-quality product and experience and it's completely rejuvenated and reinvigorated bowling. It absolutely is. Now, you've got giant lanes not far from here. Oh, sure. Well, look, we've got uh, uh, a 50-laner in Times Square, a 40-laner in Chelsea Piers, and an 82-laner in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Well, i got to go to the first two I, I consider myself as a, a, a good customer of because Thank they're you. just so phenomenal. But i got to go around the country. You've got ones out west, too. Sure. Well, uh, California is our biggest market. We have 45 locations in California. Well, look, I've got to congratulate you. I'm so sick of SPACs. I was desperate to try to find one that was good, and it was right under my nose. And I want to thank not Leo, but Tom Shannon, founder and CEO of Bolero. Bowling is so much fun. Man, money's back to the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Lee in Ohio. Lee. Jim, my husband and I watched you for decades. The morning with Mark Haynes and the evenings with Jimmy Rogers. And in the spring, you. Well, I want to thank you for all the education and helping Thanks. us avoid some uh, potholes. In the spring, you were teaching um, us viewers about GARP stocks, and one of the ones is a financial, and currently they have had some good reported quarters where they've beaten. Um, Low PE, year-to-date, they're down 33. So do I continue to hold State Street, SST, Corp. State Street Ford. is such a great institution. Now, what people like, they run right now is they want to be able to, in these institutions, where you have banks to take your deposits and then invest very, very uh, richly at treasuries. But I think State Street down here at this level is a terrific buy. And thank you for those kind comments. That's the kind of stock I like to go buy here. Good deal, too. How about Karen in Florida? Karen! Hey! Hey, Jim. Yeah, Karen from Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, Listen. I love Jacks. What's going on? Big game this weekend. What's up? Hey, I need your advice. I bought shares of this Novavax yesterday. As soon as I right. saw it um, on, an, on an alert from the CDC that it was recommending it to be used, kind of as a booster shot in conjunction with both Pfizer and Moderna. So my question to you is, this Novavax stock has done absolutely nothing for the last 24 hours from the moment the Centers for Disease Control announced its release. So, right. Do I hold That's it? why it's down Do 87%. I get rid of it? No. Karen, I have been against this stock 
from time memoriam. And I'm reiterating once again that I'm against Novavax. Now, let's go to Rick in Florida. Rick. Hi. Uh, hallelujah and you, Reverend Jim Bob Kramer. My, How you doing, partner? Yeah. My question is on Fox, short and intermediate term. No, I don't like the media stocks. I can't change my mind. The media stocks I do like are Google, uh, Meta, and Amazon. Those are the ones that I like. I like Disney, too, but that's a theme park stock. Let's go to Keith in Kentucky. Keith. Good afternoon, Kramer. Yo. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about a stock that has been a COVID darling, but after posting a miss and reducing their full-year outlook, Generac fell off a cliff, losing 25% yesterday alone. So is this a buying I am shocked. I am shocked. No, the credibility of Generac is completely shocked. I do not want to touch this one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, let's talk Tesla, Twitter, and the tech titan topping news of both. Why not? Everyone else is next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Do you know why I, once bo- I used to be a 146 bowler day? No, I didn't know I, that. And I, I thought I knew I everything about you. My elbow. But I'm always finding new things out. You, you just have an you endless series ball? of mysteries. Yeah. Ball, your own ball and jacket, like uh, Lebowski? Of course. Really? Absolutely. Really? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. First things first, even though Tesla sold off today down 6.65%, I'm telling you they had a great quarter. Tesla's got a buyer for everything it sells without having to advertise. I don't know if it's worth more than $4 trillion, the price of both Saudi Aramco and Apple combined, which Elon Musk posited in one of the more bizarre moments of last night's conference call. Right up there with his obsession to buy back, I don't know, $5, $10 billion of Tesla's shares in the open market. I hope he's not desperate to sell stock in order to fund by his own admission his outrageous overpay for Twitter. Although I'm told that rich investors are clamoring to get a piece of the deal. To me, Tesla's been hammered for the same reason so many other members of the $500 billion club have done poorly. They had no encore. They didn't discover brand new business that could propel them higher by leaps and bounds. They kind of fail, fall under their own weight the moment anything even deteriorates slightly. Plus, there are people who must have thought Tesla could make and ship many more cars than they did, even as Musk pretty much told you how many they would do. People who sell on that kind of news never should have owned this thing in the first place. But now that we're on the cusp of Musk's Twitter acquisition, it's time to figure out how we can break the death spiral of the social media's company revenues. He says he can make Twitter worth much more than it is. And after the close tonight, it was reported that he's been telling prospective investors that he may let go up to 75% of Twitter's employees. Good for the gross margins, maybe not so good for growth, as currently configured. Are those kinds of cuts even possible? I can see a way, although Musk pays no attention to me. He once said I was just a simulation. So take it with a grain of salt. Once he takes over Twitter, I think he needs to call a convention of everyone who has a couple million followers and just ask them what they want. He'll get a boatload of great ideas. Then he needs to take the most reliable way for people to communicate with institutions, Twitter's direct messaging system, and turn it into a way to conduct commerce. 
to identify where you are buying something by credit card overseas, or if you're looking for help and want to keep your phone separate. Now, here's the real stuff. Musk needs to explain to Twitter's 100 biggest advertisers that he can develop targeted advertising programs that have tremendous reach and credibility, programs that can be superior to anything from Google or, or Amazon, which are currently the best in the business, even as their stocks tonight are being filleted by association with the gas baggers at Snap. <laughs> Musk needs to have a paid tier and a free tier, with the free tier being the current free-for-all kind of iguanas-like river, and the paid tier having actual moderation so it's not as much of an open sewer. But the easiest thing is advertising. Twitter has resisted doing targeted ads, or it can't do them right, which is nuts. All Musk has to do is get people's zip codes to allow advertisers to offer them local deals. I always wanted to advertise my old bar on Twitter, but it wasn't worth it because we couldn't target the people in our neighborhood. Yet this thing could easily become the best direct advertiser in America. I also think Twitter should have its own writing crew not just relying on random posts. They might want actual humans to highlight the best posts instead of putting it all in the hands of an algorithm. There could be more advertising around that thread, too. Ultimately, Musk could build a whole library of publications connected to Twitter and become the fourth stool of e-commerce after Google, Amazon, and Meta. I think this could be a great roll-up vehicle for Musk himself. While Musk is overpaying for the current version of Twitter, if he turns it around, and he is so darn smart, I think he can, this could end up looking like a steal. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.